to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stack. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Junior Doctor's Corner. Today's episode is extra special. That's because it was not hosted by myself, but instead it was hosted by our very own Dr. Helen Zhang, who is an intern in New South Wales. She joined our team earlier this year and told me that she wanted to produce podcast episodes. So we decided that she was in the best position to tackle this particular episode with a returning guest. So you might remember Dr. Nidhi Krishnan, who was on episode three talking about stepping up from a resident to a junior registrar role. So she's now back to talk about how to tackle after hours or ward call. This episode is jam-packed with a lot of very good advice. I really hope you enjoy it and if you do please do not forget to leave a review in iTunes and that will really help us out in terms of visibility and you know allow other medical students and junior doctors like yourselves discover the podcast enjoy so we're very lucky today to have a very special speaker, Dr. Nidhi Krishnan, who many of you may have heard speak for us before about um, stepping up from being a resident to a registrar. Um, and before we start, Nidhi, would you mind giving us an introduction about where you're at in terms of um, your training and uh, a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hello, listeners again. Um since you last met me, I am now a third-year paediatric registrar um, working at the Queensland Children's Hospital in Brisbane, still loving my job, still doing lots of after-hours, still working with residents and consultants and all the rest of it, so very much still in the hospital system. So hopefully I can give you guys a little bit of advice um, and answer some of the questions you might have today. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you will have lots of advice, which our listeners will be keen to hear. For those of us who may not have had any sort of experience with these shifts so far, Nidhi, would you mind giving us an idea about what the difference between night shifts and evening shifts are and um, what sort of is the goal of after-hours shifts as, as opposed to day shifts? Yeah, so look, I think... Your goal of after-hour shifts is just to keep everything under control. Um, I don't think your job is to start finding all sorts of new issues that need to be treated or trying to enact all of the plans that the home treating team have made during the day. Um, One of my old bosses, when I used to work in neonatal ICU, Um, and was terrified of doing night shifts all on my own, used to say all alive at 8.05, which means have everything under control. Hopefully things haven't fallen apart on your after-hour shifts, Um, but you don't need to be working miracles in those after-hour shifts. Um, I'd say in terms of evenings and nights, um, which are both after-hours, I suppose, your evenings you'll find sometimes there's a lot more handover involved with evening shifts. So the day team may have not had a chance to chase certain results or do specific things, and Mm -hmm. those may be specifically handed over to you to do. So you might find that you have a little bit more structure to your evening shifts. 
certainly with night shifts. There may be a couple of jobs here and there, but there certainly shouldn't be a huge workload that's been handed over to you for a night shift. Mm -hmm. It may be a couple of sick children or in my case children, but sick patients Mm -hmm. that um, you need to be aware of and go see. Otherwise, a lot of that workload comes from calls from nursing staff and new admissions and things like that. That's really good advice. And in terms of preparing for night shifts, how did you um, prepare? Because when I, on the lead up to my nights, I was talking with my friends and some people mentioned, oh, you know, I start sleeping later and later in order to ease myself into that sort of routine. Um, How did you prepare for nights? Everyone, as I'm sure the more people you speak to have different ways of how they prepare for night shift. I personally, I try and keep my routine as similar as possible. So I'm the weirdo that I actually try not to eat on night shift. And I know that's <laughs> super weird and I'm probably the anomaly. Yeah. But um, I try and have, like, keep my breakfast time the same as in after night shift and then I'll have a sleep and I'll wake up and I'll have a quote-unquote late lunch and late dinner before I go to night shift right. and then try and not eat on night shift. Um, because I find that that is somewhat keeping a pattern similar to day day shifts. So when I transition back, it's okay. Yeah. That's easier said than done because often there's snacks everywhere on a night. <laughs> yes. Um, because a lot of other people, you know, keeping snacking and keeping their energy levels up with that is what's going to help. Coffee doesn't go astray. If coffee works well for you, awesome. <laughs> use coffee. Um, And in terms of the sleep pattern, look, I think trying to get a really restful sleep during the day is the key. So do whatever you need to do. If you need to turn the aircon on and make your room so cold that you just like need to curl up in your, in your doona and go to sleep. Awesome. Get blackout blinds, close the curtains, make it quiet and peaceful and calm. Um, Have a nice shower, get comfy um, and really make it an enticing thing to go to sleep because without a restful daytime sleep, you will really struggle on night shift. Some people will slowly try and transition themselves where they, you know, the night before they start night shift, they'll try and stay up as late as they can in preparation for the following night shift. Depending on your roster and the structure of your preceding shifts, that may not always be possible. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I guess when you're on night shifts, what have you found to be the general pattern? I guess this would be variable from person to person, but um, did you find you generally had lulls at certain times during the night? And um, did you ever like take naps throughout the night to help you get through? I think if a night shift is done well, you should have a lull at about that kind of 2 to 4 a.m. mark, you know, right after you've kind of shown up to work, you've tidied a few things up, stabilised everybody, then nothing's happening and then people start waking up again in the morning and then you get more work in the early hours of the morning. In terms of napping, I used to have night shifts where I had massive chunks of nothing to do, Mm -hmm. which is very rare and I'm very blessed that that happened and I often used to nap during those chunks but what I did find is that impaired my sleep during the day right and I often used to just nap because there was nothing else to do and I went 
how am I going to pass three hours of time mm-hmm. or four hours of time with nothing to do? But I did find I wouldn't sleep as well during the day for doing that. So I think it is very variable in terms of what kind of person you are and how, how your sleep patterns yeah. are. But don't let napping on night shift impair your proper restful daytime sleep because that is where your real recouping energy rejuvenating sleep is going to be Mm, yeah I think that's that's where the gold is the idea of needing to protect your daytime sleep in order to feel more awake at night and so now moving on to more clinical aspects of after hours shifts Nidhi would you mind giving us a broad framework for how to address clinical situations as a junior doctor on after hours the thing that I can't stress more is try and make sure that you're really comfortable with the handovers you get Um, a handover is a time where often things can get missed and often things can go wrong it's you're gonna make in terms of the Swiss cheese model it's tends to be an a period of time that a lot of mistakes happen. So really focus on getting a good handover, getting a really good feel for whoever's handing over to you um, as to what their level of concern is, what specific jobs like you to do and don't be afraid to ask questions during that handover period. I do think personally anything outside of what is specifically handed over to you unless obviously you're called about a new patient that people have some concerns about is not your responsibility Mm -hmm. Um, so do your handed over jobs be aware of sick patients and then I guess after that just address new new issues as they come certainly as you said in terms of being an intern or a junior doctor remember there's other people around You're never going to be an intern on a night shift alone. So ask a registrar what would be appropriate to do in circumstances that maybe you're not sure if you've read some notes and gone, oh, I found this really weird thing in these notes. Should I be worried about that? Should I do something at 2 o'clock in the morning? Hmm. The answer is probably no, but you can always ask your registrar. (laughs) Yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, When you say you can ask your registrar, from your experience, what sort of support system do junior doctors usually have Yeah, look, I think I may have said this in the last podcast as well, and not a lot's changed since then. Don't forget about your nursing staff. As a junior doctor, your nursing staff and your ward staff are your best friends. And I'm sure you yourself have already experienced this, um, you know, in this first half of your year being an intern. They were my lifeline. If they were worried, I knew that as a junior, I needed to be worried. Yeah. So often they will be the first people. And if they like you, they'll help you out. If they don't like you, they'll let you flounder. (laughs) (laughs) So listen to them, listen to their concerns, make friends with them. If you're an intern, you might have a slightly more senior resident on with you as well. I think it's different based on state, but as a more senior resident. And then on top of that, you'll also, I guess, have your registrars that will definitely be working on night shift as well. Don't forget that if you're really, really, really worried and no one's taking you seriously, mm-hmm. there is a consultant on call. Mm-hmm. There is no reason that as a junior doctor, if no one is taking your concern seriously and you are worried that you cannot call the consultant. I know that it's scary and it's probably reasonably rare that you will be in the situation that no one supports your level of concern, Mm. but 
keep in the back of your mind, you can escalate to an on-call consultant if you are that worried. Mm, right. Okay. Can you give us an idea of how during the shift, what, are, what do we really do as junior doctors on after hours? From my experience as a junior doctor, often you're going to do some simple procedural things, so potentially a cannula um, that's tissued. Often you shouldn't be having to do bloods in on after-hour shifts, but maybe you might have to do a little bit of blood taking. Simple things like maybe putting a catheter in, but often nursing staff will be very good at that. Charting medications is often a common one. So um, if some simple Panadol or Nurofen hasn't been charted or fluids need to be charted, you might be called to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly you might have to go do some clinical reviews of a patient that has something's changed or they've deteriorated slightly. And in terms of those clinical reviews, that can vary with regards to what you're called to see, Mm -hmm. what departments you're working in, I suppose. Yeah. From your experience, what have been the most uh, common sort of procedures that you may have had to do on after hours? I think it's just cannulas. Keep in mind, often a call that I get is, hello, doctor, it's 2am, I need a cannula for this patient having a procedure at 10am tomorrow morning. Do they need a cannula at 2am in the morning for a 10am procedure? Mm. Probably not, unless for some reason they need to be fasted and definitely have these fluids running. But in my brain, I go, most people fast overnight. No one drinks water at 2am. It's <laughs> fine. You probably don't urgently need that cannula for your operation that you're getting at 10 a.m. So in terms of prioritizing tasks, that would be something that would be reasonably low down my list. And I'd go, sure, I'm happy to help you if I can get to it. But depending on where you work, some of these night shifts can be incredibly busy. Your list just piles up. So it helps with that prioritization. I can't think of a lot more that you should be doing overnight procedure-wise. Right. Okay. That's a really good point about needing to prioritize because I know from, from my experience this year in, uh, in my first few night shifts, I was thinking, wow, there are a lot of cannulas, but do I need to wake up this person in the middle at 3am to do this cannula? Hmm. So that's a really good point about prioritizing. And uh, what I found was quite helpful was um, one of my seniors told me often in most cases, cannulas can be delayed to, to the morning if they really need it. 100%. You can just kind of do a cannula round in the morning at around, you know, 6 a.m., if that even, and do all of them in a go. (laughs) Of course, you uh, can't always predict the clinical reviews and when they're going to come. So if they all come at the same time, sometimes I do find myself in a bit of a pickle. Luckily, there's always, as you mentioned, a support system to help us. When you receive that phone call, write it down. And I used to tend to have kind of three different columns where I went, urgent like emergent slash urgent that needs to be done now yeah stuff that needs to be done at some point in my shift before I go home and Mm -hmm. stuff that is a ridiculous phone call for an after hour shift that can just be handed over to the morning team right okay 
like a three column system that's that's really helpful certainly in New South Wales um at the hospitals I worked at we have the task manager and we also get paged um for more urgent um clinical reviews which we also I tend to write down as well in fact on the topic of clinical reviews what are some of the most common uh, clinical presentations you would see as a junior doctor on after hours looking back to my um my general medical adult days, um, chest pain, shortness of breath, abdominal pain, fevers, or ulbs that were a little bit off. So whether or not they were tachycardic for some reason, Mm -hmm. they were hypertensive for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of the phone calls were also based around changes in ulbs when -hmm. they were done. Yeah. And I think certainly when I worked with kind of more that geriatric population, um, agitation and delirium was probably the other call that we often used to get. Yeah, that's quite similar to what I've experienced as well. So you mentioned, you know, nurses can make it or break it for <laughs> your experience on after hours um, often, and they can be such a helpful, um, I guess, resource to go to as well. Was there anything before attending a clinical review uh, that you might have wanted to ask nurses before you actually went yourself in person? Yeah, look, so I think having a general idea of how concerned the nurses are, most up-to-date set of vitals never goes astray. And then if you're able to kind of walk and talk, have the nurses give you a quick ISPA style handover of this patient because this patient may be someone that you don't know at all. You don't know them from a bar of soap. You don't know why they're in hospital or what's going on with them. And I would say try and ask for that style of handover from a nurse um, or whoever's calling you almost while you're walking there. Yeah, that's really good advice. I have to agree um, that set of vitals as you're walking to the clinical review can tell you so much about um, how unwell your patient is even before you see them. So it gives you like a time frame almost to work with. And actually another thing I just thought of as well, which I found quite helpful recently on after hours is also using that phone call as you're walking to the patient, particularly if they have like a fever to ask the nurses, have they given any Panadol? Have they had any Panadol recently? And if, it's okay to give them some more stat you can ask them to give it now to help kind of reduce that fever uh, before you even see the patient yeah and what would be your general approach when you turn up in these sort of situations I mean look I always say have some kind of structured approach and I know that it's hammered home in medical school about you know ABCs go through your ABCs over and over again But the reason that that's done is because I think no matter what situation you are in, it provides a very clear, safe approach to management of any patient, whether they're acutely unwell and deteriorating in front of you or potentially a little bit more stable. Um, I think if you walk into a room and you make sure that you're happy with their airway breathing circulation um, and extra so the disability you know mentation side of things Mm -hmm. if you're happy with that I think that automatically should go in your brain great I'm happy with those very key things now I've got time to think 
Mm-hmm. And I think once you've bought yourself that time to think, you can either, you know, if you're if you're seeing a patient with chest pain and you go, oh, my God, I've forgotten entirely what we give when a person has chest pain or what investigations we need to do, mm-hmm. often your nursing staff will already have started half of that for you or yeah. they'll, like, nudge you on the shoulder and go, do you want to give them some morphine? And you go, <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. I'll chart that right now. Yeah. Um, or remember that with that time that you've bought yourself by ensuring that this patient is stable, mm-hmm. look up protocols. So there's mm-hmm. protocols and guidelines and flow charts for pretty much everything out there now that's mm-hmm. at your fingertips mm-hmm. um, on your phone or at a computer that's nearby. So I guess to recap that, Make sure the patient is stable, airway, breathing, circulation, Mm. disability, glucose, that kind of thing. Very basic first principles. You've bought yourself time and then take that time to just make sure you're happy. And if you're not happy, ask somebody. Mm. And if we start on that A to E sort of assessment, uh, at what point, if you are worried, um, would you escalate to someone more senior? So I, I don't think that you should have to flounder or feel uncomfortable in, a, in any situation. Um, as a junior, your job is to work within your scope and what you feel comfortable with. So I think at any point you're well within your right to escalate to a senior. Um, and if you're super worried, call a met call. Part of the criteria of a MET call is, you know, there's obviously certain fixed criteria in terms of what they're scoring and their OBS and things like that. But part of a MET call criteria is also clinician concern. So I think you can always give your registrar a call and say, hey, I'm a little bit worried or I'm nervous or I don't know what to do in this situation. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me anything over the phone that I can get started? Um, And do you think this is something that warrants even escalating to a MET call? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also from my experience, I found that uh, although most most of the time I've always been under very responsive and very you know, responsible um, seniors, sometimes the seniors, my seniors may also be very busy attending other clinical calls. And um, sometimes it can get difficult to get in contact. So I think it's a great point that you mentioned. There's always that met call button that you can press to get um, more support immediately. And what would you say going from that would be the key things you would recommend knowing, like definitely knowing on nights or evenings before you call for help? So I guess definitely know the most recent set of vitals. Know why this patient is in hospital. Know exactly the question that you're asking on the phone as well. So often I'll get phone calls where I'll get this phone call to say, you know, Mr. Z has some chest pain and is in hospital after having had a positive stress test. The nursing staff have asked me to see him. I'll be on the other end going, so so what's the actual question? What question do you have for me? So you've told me a little bit of a story about someone who's got chest pain, but I also want to know what have you done? What is your actual question? Yes. And what do you do in the situation where um, you're getting heaps and heaps of pages incessantly? How do you manage that situation? I think um, you prioritize and you go back to figuring out what do I need to do now? What can wait till later and what can be handed over? Yeah. 
um, which goes back to that kind of three-column thought process that I have. And you might have to write it down or you might just be able to, you know, prioritise that in your head. But think about where the job that you're being paged lies in the priorities list. Right. Can you give us an idea of jobs in each of these sections? So, like, a job that would need to be done now is, hi, doctor, I'm concerned that this patient has acute shortness of breath. And you go, all right, I'm going to come and see this patient, see you in the next. And if they're stable, it may not have to be see you in five minutes. It may still be see you in half an hour or see you in an hour, Mm -hmm. but you're clear that you have to go do that job. In terms of a job that can be done later, as we mentioned earlier, the cannula round at um, 6am or you could do in terms of medications if they've gone, oh, can you chat some Panadol for this patient? You can go, do you mind taking a quick phone order for that right now and then I'll chat it later? Mm -hmm. Um, And that saves you not having to stop and do that. You can give a quick phone order for something um, and then physically chat it later. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of a later job and in terms of stuff that can be handed over it'll be questions that you get like you know this person's having this procedure done tomorrow and they haven't been consented for it yet and we've just discovered that at 3 a.m in the morning can you come consent them and you go no no I will not be coming in consenting them the home team can discuss that with them in the morning or this person had bloods done at 2 p.m. in the afternoon and the sodiums um, or, or the sodiums dropped a little bit but not to the point where you need to do anything about it you know it's still within reasonably normal limits you go great thank you for letting me know I will hand that over to the morning team mm, yeah that's really good advice also because I know on nights often um, you're buddied up with the medical registrar in what situations would you need to call the surgical registrar instead or a registrar from say pediatrics instead it's a difficult it's a difficult one to answer I think you know if you're going to go see a patient that's got abdominal pain and you've discovered on your examination that that abdominal pain is very clearly right lower quadrant abdominal pain for example, then you can always call the surgical registrar and say, I've assessed this patient with right lower quadrant abdominal pain um, or right iliac fossa abdominal pain. I think it's consistent with appendicitis because of these reasons. Could you come review this patient? So if it's a very clear cut, the thing that I'm thinking is going on with this patient is surgical, Mm-hmm. then by all means call the surgical registrar. I think for everything else, particularly as a junior, use your medical registrar as a sounding board to say, hey, look, I think that maybe I should call this other specialty mm. um, because of this reason and this reason and that reason. Do you think that's reasonable? And they can then help advocate for that and support you and go, yeah, great idea. Or they might say, give me a second, I'll come see this patient and we'll just make sure that that's the right plan. Yeah. How about in the setting of uh, post-operative patients who may become clinically unwell? Would you um, notify the surgical registrar? Often what I'll do is I will notify the registrar that 
whose team they belong to. So in a post-operative um, patient, for example, their home team will be a surgical. So if it is a, you know, a post-laparotomy patient after having had a bowel resection that has become febrile and hypotensive and looks septic, often the most common cause of their sepsis might be an anastomotic leak. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've leaked into their belly and that's why they're febrile and unwell. And I would definitely call the surgical registrar because they need to know about their patient. However, they might just say, can you just give the med reg a quick heads up as well because they might need to come and review this patient and do a full septic screen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so if they're under paediatrics, call the paediatric registrar first. If they're under cardiology and there's an on-call or on-site cardiology registrar, call them depending on I guess the structure of your hospital as well so the structure of your hospital is that um, the medical registrar covers all subspecialties after hours then certainly don't go waking up the on-call endocrine registrar (laughs) at 3 a.m talk to your medical registrar first so I think keep in the back of your mind what the structure and um, structure of your hospital and your health service is Mm. yeah have you ever had to make consults at night? And in what situations would you need to do that? In terms of doing a consult as in having to call a subspecialty, I don't think it should be the junior doctor's role to do that. Right. Um, I think that is where your medical registrar comes into play to yeah. help escalate to appropriate subspecialties and decide if that needs to be done after hours or if that can wait till the morning. Yeah. So it sounds like use your medical registrar as a bouncing board. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, sounds good. And also, would you be able to give us um, uh, any sort of experiences that you've had that have been emergencies or scary um, at night? I think the scariest phone calls are like acutely deteriorating patients. Yeah. So patients, for example, a child with asthma that's been admitted that seemed to be going okay and then has acutely stopped responding to treatment and become acutely very short of breath um, and is dropping their sats and it's all falling apart. And, of course, it had to happen at 3 a.m. in the morning when I'm the only one that's there. And that is something that you are never going to enjoy being called about. And even as a registrar, I don't enjoy those phone calls at all. In terms of how you manage that, I think you escalate early and make sure that people get their early Mm. so you show up you look at the patient and then I think you either escalate to your registrar or call a met call early right and then that gets other people there and then guess what it's not your problem anymore (laughs) and I know that sounds hilarious and we laugh about it but it's true if you escalate early it is takes the pressure of you being the only person that has to sort that out and Mm. fix this patient Absolutely. I think that's such an important point. The idea of not being afraid to escalate early because I've certainly been in the situation where I think, oh, you know, I want to be a good junior doctor and have things prepared, but, and, and it sounds like I know a bit more about this patient, but in some situations, I think it's so important to call your senior early and get more people involved early on. And did you ever have to call the consultant yourself in any situation as a junior doctor and after hours? So I must say, I don't think I've ever had to directly call a consultant. Mm -hmm. 
because a registrar has not responded or isn't taking me seriously. I've Mm. had to call consultants where I've called the registrar and the registrar's come to help me and this child's really unwell, so the registrar is actively doing something with that child or that patient um, and they've gone, hey, Nitty, do you mind quickly giving the consultant a call and let them know what's going on? Yeah. I've made phone calls in that circumstance. And again, I know that that's really scary because you go, oh, I'm just the little junior doctor calling on behalf of my registrar. But I think, again, work on a really good ISPA handover because if you're calling a consultant at 2 a.m. in the morning, they're they're half asleep. They want to know very quickly what is going on, what is wrong with the patient, why are you calling them at 2 a.m. in the morning? Yeah. And what can they do to help? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and the other caveat to that, I will say while we're on that topic, if you're calling someone that's at home and not in the hospital, always lead that phone call with, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm looking after this patient. I'm either calling for advice mm-hmm. or calling because I'm worried and I need you to come in. Right. Because if they're at home they could be in their pajamas and have rolled over in bed because they're on call and they're not sure whether they need to start getting ready and put some shoes on and get out the door and be at the hospital or whether you're just calling because you want some advice. Mm -hmm. So very early on in that conversation, either say I want some advice or I need you to come in. Yeah. So again, it's like that idea of having a question, knowing what you're asking for before you. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the different roles of registrars as opposed to junior doctors on after hours? Often your registrar on after hours will be the most senior person that's physically in the hospital. Their roles will obviously to be supporting juniors or seeing quite unwell patients or performing procedures that either the junior has found difficult or is out of the scope of a junior doctor. Mm-hmm. Whereas Unfortunately, for better or for worse, being a junior doctor, you kind of just do the mind my friend shitty jobs. <laughs> um, so, like your your registrar shouldn't be the first person that someone calls to chart a medication or yeah. to order some fluids or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, their time is often better used elsewhere. Yeah, but that being said, that does not mean a registrar cannot chart medications or chart fluids. If they are sitting around twiddling their thumbs and you are run off your feet doing all of these reviews, they are perfectly capable of doing some of those shitty jobs as well. <laughs> well yeah, definitely the more mundane jobs uh, we have to kind of just uh, trawl through as junior doctors. And what are the sort of things you should hand over to the day team after a night shift? Any patients of concern should be handed over. So if there was a patient that you went and saw that either the nursing staff were worried about or you were worried about, even if you didn't do very much for them on a night shift, I think it's just worth mentioning to the day team, hey, look, I saw patient XYZ. They were stable when I saw them, but there were were these concerns overnight about this patient. Um, Obviously, it goes without saying any patients that had met calls called on them and things like that should obviously be handed over to the morning team. Um, But you don't need to hand over every single little patient that you went and saw or every cannula that you did. But I would suggest that you write notes for everything you do so that um, you may not have to verbally hand it over, Mm -hmm. but if someone goes back and reads through the notes, they understand what's happened. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And before we finish off today, Nidhi, was there anything else which you thought might be important to impart on our listeners today? I think it's just potentially important to discuss that after hours is scary, but I think it's also important to remain cognizant of the fact that there are people to help you and people are willing to help, even though they may not seem like they are because they themselves are probably quite busy and quite tired, Mm. but they are genuinely very happy to help support because we've all been there. Everyone's been there and it's scary. It's terrifying. Um, And I say as a registrar who, as I said, was doing night shift in a neonatal ICU and I'd already been a doctor for three years before I did that job and I was still terrified because it was a neonatal ICU and the thought of doing night shift alone was terrifying but you do it and you realize that you are supported and then you realize that you just escalate everything if you're worried Mm. I would much rather be known as that annoying person that kept calling but was safe Mm. than a person that never called and made unsafe decisions absolutely and now that I guess um, you've got the experience of being a junior doctor and also a registrar under your under your sleeve. As a registrar, what would you consider as a good junior doctor or someone you can trust on after hours? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, actually, because I think about this a lot. <laughs> and I think safety is key. I think if I know that a junior is going to be safe, and I think that they are a good junior doctor. So the good junior doctors are not necessarily the ones that know everything mm-hmm. um, or can regurgitate a textbook to me yeah. um, and can name all these facts. They're the people that act safely. And the biggest thing about being safe is recognising your own limitations. That is what makes a good junior doctor, but a good doctor in general. Yeah, Okay, that's that's such a good point. Um, and I think something that I have to remind myself as well, that uh, I guess a good and safe junior doctor is not someone who necessarily knows everything but um, is aware of their, their limitations. Well, Nidhi, thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, Thanks, <laughs> No worries. Um, I think you've answered so many questions that a lot of junior doctors would be wondering and, uh, you know, medical students before they've done a couple of after-hours shifts. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. If you really like that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.